this week is the final surrogacy-related episode of the season. Sjoz will be sharing his story on becoming a father via surrogacy, and it's a little bit of a roller coaster. While recording, his little boy was feeling under the weather, so you may hear him coughing every now and then in the background. Now, before we start, just in case you're new to the show, this week's episode does contain references to reproduction. So, if you're in the vicinity of little ones, you may want to put some headphones on. There is also some discussion of miscarriage. If you're sensitive to the subject, you may wish to skip this episode entirely. You can find links to support organisations on our website, thedaddyissue.org. My name is Connor James, and you're listening to The Daddy Issue. sure how I came into contact with Sios, which usually means that it was via Sarah Costa, a guest from earlier episodes. Sios is a child wish coach, someone who helps guide people who are looking to or in the process of creating their own rainbow family. He and his partner Art's pathway to parenthood was a little more complicated than most. They both found their calling to be fathers in very different ways and their wish for a child took them down several pathways, each with different results. And today, Sios will be guiding us through each of them. Sios, thanks again for being on the show, and perhaps you'd like to tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is you do for a living. Yeah, great uh, for having me. Thank you. My name is Sjors. I live in Utrecht in the Netherlands. I'm 30-something. I always forget what my real age is. <laughs> After 30 and having a, a child, you kind of forget something uh, to, on your grocery shopping or your age. So sorry about that. I am a kinderwens coach. I coach people uh, who have a wish for a child. Uh, specifically for surrogacy. So I coach and counsel intended parents, surrogates, and also people who want to donate their eggs to help with their difficult questions, both practical and uh, socially or emotionally, to start this beautiful and complicated journey. Uh, so that's my job. I'm a board member of Stichting Meer dan Gewenst. You can translate it to More Than Wished For. Uh, we are a foundation for LGBT families, intended mothers and fathers, and we're committed to help lesbian, gay, men, bisexual, transgender, people who have a wish for a child, and we're a non-profit. So I'm a board member and responsible for all the activities uh, we uh, organize. Then I'm a, a volunteer for Zwanger for an Ander, Pregnant for Another is the translation, uh, the, the foundation for surrogacy. I'm together with my, uh, my uh, partner, Aert. And we have a son, Tom, he's two and a half, and he's very beautiful. He likes buses and ice cream and food in general. <laughs> uh, he's very cute. And he was born through surrogacy with yeah, a known befriended Dutch surrogate. So we just launched a little book for children to tell them about surrogacy in a funny, loving way with bears who have a wish for a child. We are hoping to launch 
our book, with our story, how we got Tom in our lives. So yeah, that's me. Is this book really specific to your experience or is this something which other fathers in similar situations to you who have a child through surrogacy will be able to use to help explain to their children when they're pretty young all about this like a complicated uh, procedure that is having a child via a surrogate? Yeah, it's more like a diary, what we used to write off our thoughts and all the things that happened during our uh, journey, actually. So it's it's very personal, but I think intended parents and surrogate can learn lessons from it. What to do, what not to do, what should you do in this situation, and every, everything that uh, comes with it, because surrogacy is not just something you do every day, and it can be very complicated, both practical and social-emotionally. So, um, yeah, people can learn from it, but it is not manual, this book, uh, how you should or do it, but it's more for inspiration, how you can do it and how you can make your own choices based on our experiences. I was thinking that I guess this is a good, a good time to step into your story. I was kind of curious about your decision to become a parent because when I think about my own journey right now as like a young guy, I'm in the space of like, hey, I think one day I would like to be a dad. I, I think, I, I think that's what I want. Not a hundred percent sure, but was this something which you had previously considered from quite a young age is this something that came around spontaneously like when did the idea of becoming a father really enter your mind wow that's an interesting question because my story is i think not the most common story because uh, at young age i got cancer uh, twice so i was operated and uh, yeah it was very heavy and actually the question if i uh, survived it so that was kind of um yeah, kind of the reason that I thought it was difficult to plan my life further than one year because I wasn't certain if I would live. Um, so my wish for a child was, uh, I didn't know if it was there because I didn't have a perspective for the future. So that was kind of difficult. But my boyfriend, he, from the day he could talk, wanted to have a tea party with, with his children. <laughs> so he was, yeah, from young age seeing himself as a, a parent but yeah when he turned out to be gay he, he thought it would be difficult to have a family but he always said i would like to have a family and during our relationship yeah that was kind of difficult because he wanted it really bad and i just said let's talk about it in a year or when we buy our first house or when i have a good job or when uh, I don't know. Like one day when you hit that milestone, then there's always a new yeah, milestone. Yeah, and I, I find it very hard to actually find that milestone to have faith in my body to say, yes, I'm ready for a family and I can provide a certain kind of security for the family that there are two parents and not one and one who may not live long. Yeah. So I searched for psychological help to and medical help to define how realistic that chance was that I yeah, would live long. And all the doctors and social therapists, they helped me very good. And then I decided, yeah, I'm ready for it. And I have yeah a lot of uh, faith back in my body and in my mind. And let's go for it. When I was certain for my health and my body, I couldn't imagine uh, a life without children, actually. Yeah, I, I'm sorry to hear about you being sick. I'm really happy to hear that you have got that faith kind of back. 
yeah body and trust trust in your body to have a child and i think that sounds kind of reasonable that you for people to think hey well i'm healthy and i want to have a child because i know i'm going to be around i'm saying that because we've talked with my boyfriend and one thing that we worry about a lot is yeah getting too old to have children i know of course when you're two guys um you haven't got ovaries so you're fed off for a long time but with this whole milestone thing you know we say oh Let's think about maybe yeah. five years. Our current milestone is five years. We don't want to be like too old. We want to be like old dads because then, you know, back pain. I don't want to be chasing the kid around it. 45 yeah. <laughs> around the park. But I, I think it's logical that when you've overcome a tough time and an obstacle and when you've come to terms with it, I suppose, um, in a way like you're saying, hey, this happened, but I trust myself and I can move on. That That would also kind of trigger that I think that personal instinct a little bit to say, hey, you know what? It's time. Yeah. But I think what you also said really hits kind of a nail on the head, which I believe a lot of queer families experience, which is kind of that extra pressure because we can't just get pregnant. Yeah. We can choose when to have a child. And I feel that adds an extra level of pressure because you can say, oh, let's wait until we have a house or let's wait until we've paid our mortgage for five years. Okay, let's let's wait until X, Y, and Z. How old will we be? Oh, I don't want to be too old. Maybe, maybe, maybe... Uh, my child will have like the oldest parent in the class. You know, all these weird things come to your mind where you start thinking like, oh crap, when is the right time? Yeah. But when you did decide then, hey, let's do this. And I guess for your partner, that was maybe easier for him since he was a, he was already ready for this when he was having yeah. tea parties. <laughs> like, wh- where did you begin? Like, where, where did you start this journey? Well, in that time, and I think it was eight years ago, um, surrogacy wasn't in the news, not that common. So only famous stars in Hollywood did that. And in Netherlands, I think adoption was the only accepted and common way of getting kids for gay people. So uh, that was actually our starting point. So we would like to have a child. Let's go to the adoption agency because that is where you start and there are no other options we thought so we started to write a letter to the adoption agency and yeah then you are putting on a waiting list so you have to wait for several months and we are not that good at waiting so (laughs) we googled a lot and we found a lot of stories of intended parents or surrogates but also co-parenting and foster care then we got in touch with more than wished for the foundation where i talked about and went to an information meeting and that really opened our eyes and we started googling further on surrogacy because we were very inspired by that construction because you, even before conception you can think about how the pregnancy is going to look like how the role of the surrogate is in the life of your child and your family everything you can decide before even starting to conceive a child and that is i think beautiful that you can actually tell your child if he has questions or if you'd like to tell him what are certain choices that you've made to get the child and that was very valuable so we found an online forum was i think the time before hives and facebook so facebook uh, just just (laughs) popped up and there were a lot of stories about surrogate who uh, were uh, carrying a child or wanted, wanted to have a child through surrogacy or had carried a child for persons and a lot of in- intended parents so sharing stories and uh, learning from each other because there wasn't that much information on the, the the government website there was only the information that it was not legal to pay money for 
surrogate or to advertise for a, for a surrogate or that it is illegal to mediate as a third party with surrogates so and we met yeah a couple of intended surrogates and we had a lot of a funny conversation and not with the intention to have uh yeah have an, an agreement to start a surrogacy procedure but just to uh, learn from each other yeah, so it's kind of like, I think I've said this before on the podcast, but I dated an experience where you, you go around and you're dating like the ideas, yeah. if that makes sense, like the concept of surrogacy and... Sharing thoughts, yeah. I guess this is the only way, really, because you said about the government website, I can confirm that the website is just yeah. as vague today. It doesn't tell you very much. It just kind of tells yeah. you what you can't do and then tells you to go to a, an independent, a non-profit organization for more information. Exactly, yeah. I was kind of curious actually about the adoption side. When you guys were thinking about adoption, yep. just to take you back to that, I'm assuming at that point you were thinking about adopting a child from abroad or was it back then possible to adopt a Dutch child? Because these days it's more difficult to adopt a child in the Netherlands. Yeah, yeah. So in that time uh, for gay people, it was only possible to adopt from abroad. So the USA was an option. Uh, Portugal was an option. South Africa. So in, in the USA, that was open adoption. So the, the carrying woman yeah, is picking the intended parents through yeah, seeing their profile. In Portugal, you have commonly more older children and, and multiple. So you have a girl from nine years old and her brother from seven and another brother from three or four. So you have multiple children. Or South Africa, where you, most of the children are HIV positive. So it's, yeah, pretty serious conditions. Um, and in the Netherlands, there aren't a lot of children to adopt. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of difficult. Recently, there was a report. And in that document, they found out there were a lot of faults made in the history in adoption abroad. So adoption right now isn't open. It's closed for everyone. Yeah, I guess um, right now it is, is May when we're recording this and we don't have a new government yet. So we don't know if and when that will change, I suppose. Yeah. But I think that's something that we will definitely look into in a later episode and maybe go into this report a little bit on the Dutch side to explain kind of what happened yeah. and how the Dutch situation is in comparison to international situations. Yeah. Then if you go back to surrogacy then, so you guys are dating the idea of surrogacy. Uh, I don't know if that's the right term, but we'll, we'll use it. How did you introduce this idea to your family? Um, I can't recall the specific moment, but uh, we uh, introduced our uh, wish for a child on my birthday to our family, and it wasn't a shock for anyone. So they, uh, they, yeah, they saw and and experienced that we love children and children love us because they call me Klimrek. So <laughs> I'm kind of a toy for, for children. They, they climb on me. And uh, so it wasn't a surprise for anyone. The point that we talked about surrogacy was actually, I think, that we found a surrogate. Okay, how did you find a surrogate then? Well, uh, first we started chatting on the forum and we had uh, very nice conversations with multiple ladies. And for example, one lady, she said, hi guys, I want to carry your baby. How much are you going to pay? Oh. So we responded, we are not paying you for carrying our child because that isn't legal. And another lady, she said, 
well, I'm 18 and I would like to have a child for my own for uh, uh, over a couple of years, but I don't know if I'd like it. So I want to have to practice with you guys to carry a child. So we thanked her for the idea, but... Um, and also we had a very nice conversations with a lady and we sent pictures to each other, had a nice conversation via telephone and uh, WhatsApp. She should come over to us to, to have dinner and yeah, we'd made uh, cheese fondue. Yeah, that's a, that's a very Dutch Very thing. Dutch, yeah. <laughs> wow. melted, melted cheese. In it. <laughs> it's delightful. But we waited and waited and waited and she never showed up. Oh. So that was kind of heartbreaking because, yeah, we had a lot of hopes for uh, for this lady to yeah, maybe carry our child. And so we chatted with other ladies and we met Els online. Els was a lady who had two children and yeah, would like to, to carry a baby for someone. So we got to a date in a sushi bar. It was really very awkward that evening. I can imagine. Yeah, there was a lot of tension and no one really uh, knew what to ask uh, or, or what to tell each other because, yeah, we knew it was about surrogacy, but it was a very strange situ situation to talk to each other about that elephant in the room yeah. in, a, in a sushi bar and, yeah, where to start. And it's, it's such a big thing. And you only have chopsticks as well. There's not very much to keep no. it occupied. <laughs> no. Like uh, in awkward moments, just... Just chopsticks and uh, some soy sauce. Yeah. So it really does sound like dating, but people yeah. kind of catfished, if that's a thing, um, in surrogacy. And then uh, you're in a sushi bar. But I'm assuming that you guys eventually managed to figure out how to approach this together. Yeah. Yeah. So the first date was terrible, actually. Uh, but <laughs> uh, on the way back in train, we, we texted to each other that it was very awkward and we were all very nervous. And I think that broke the ice that we had that in common. We started dating again and, and talked about surrogacy more, met her children and had very fun times, actually. And one day she sent us a letter. And in that letter, she asked if we would like her to carry our baby. So that was very heartwarming and, and very emotional, that letter. And we kept it on the bedside for, I think, a year to when we wake up, realize it was real and it wasn't a fairy tale dream. So... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, very special. And after some time getting getting to know each other, we decided to start with insemination. But was it not a step before the getting pregnant stage where you had to discuss like ground rules or anything like that? Like, did you guys just go straight into the, okay, let's get pregnant stage? Or was there kind of a period before then where you had to find each other's like red lines and borders and boundaries? Yeah, we, we, we got to know each other for a couple of months. And I think that's crucial to get to know each other very good because it's not about just chit-chatting. It's, it's about difficult things. So what if there is something wrong with the baby? What if there's something wrong with the health situation of the surrogate? What if Art and I are separating during or after or before pregnancy what if someone's going to die there were a lot of difficult questions that you have to talk through you can make concessions and you have to make concessions or uh, you have to say what you need or what your fear is or what you want or, or not want and, and that's very important and we found that pretty difficult because it's your deepest wish to have a baby in your in your family and there's just one lady that uh, can give it to you that's it's how we saw it 
yeah. because there are not a lot of uh, surrogates in the uh, Netherlands that are willing to carry a child for strangers. So that's difficult to uh, define your own boundaries and stick to them. Because if you have a fight, and I heard it from more intended parents, you can feel that if you are fighting with each other, that the alternative is to lose the circuit. So you lose the, 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 the possibility to getting a child. And that is something that is uh, important to take seriously. So we got a psychological help from counselor and that helped us to talk about the difficult stuff. And that was for us very important. But at the meanwhile, we kept finding it hard to discuss the difficult things in our communication. And also we called her family lawyer to help us in our journey. It's about a child and, and I think a child have, has to have uh, legal security. Because I guess what you have, not even in theory, you're kind of in a polyamorous relationship. Of course, you guys aren't in a, a romantic relationship altogether, but you are all together for at least the duration of this pregnancy. That's kind of like one, yeah, a thruple, I guess is the word that we use in English. Like, So I suppose it's different to a normal relationship because in a normal relationship, you go through dating um, like you already did. So it's, in, in some ways it's very similar, but there isn't like the same kind of force bringing you together. It's very different. Yeah. You're not being brought together for love. You're being brought together because you guys want to have a child and... Uh, the surrogate she wants to give somebody that that kind of gift so I, I can imagine that for all sides that's a lot of tension but also difficult because we don't talk about this stuff in western society we don't talk about openly anyway you know stuff like uh miscarriages and abortion for example no. um that's the first time i guess for all of you you have to talk about this kind of stuff all of these if else scenarios also there's risks on both sides right a risk for the surrogate mother that they have to raise the child if the intended parents decide they don't want the child what i'm trying to say is i can imagine it takes a long time to find that place where you guys all feel like we're doing it and this is working for us yeah how long did it take for you guys to really find your feet and feel like okay you know what, let's go for this then well i think we got to learn each other for half a year something more than half a year where we talk almost every day via whatsapp or uh, real life or uh, email in, in our free time we jumped in the car and helped with her daughters or with the volunteer work that she did so we talked a lot a lot a lot and uh, that was very great actually to uh, get to know each other because some things aren't going uh, to be the way you th thought they're going to be uh, some things are more emotional than other things or more uh, heavy or complicated so you have to go to a lawyer you have to go to yeah several organizations to um yeah to to let the the procedure succeed and that's very difficult and sometimes it's uh yeah hard in a very short amount of time you have to get to know each other in a very intimate way i suppose because when you're with somebody for five years you understand when they say that they're okay and they're not okay, yeah. you know, you understand the body language, the voice. And I suppose what you have to do in the surrogacy situation is learn each other with that level of intimacy, but in a shorter space of time, I guess it depends because everybody has their own time, time scale, yeah. but over the course of maybe a year or two, because you're going to come across potentially some, some nasty situations where things aren't going to go where you want and you need to know each other well enough to be able to cope together to get through them right so you have the letter and you're deciding to to get pregnant i can't think of a nicer way to say that which fertility method did you guys choose uh self-examination yeah yeah so the first time uh we we started to uh record uh, her ovulations the moment that she was the most fertile 
And actually, that was in the middle of our holiday. So we went on holiday with our camper van to Rome. And we re realized when we're in Milano, she is the most fertile. So we stored our camper van in Milan. And we flew back to the Netherlands. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> and we did our first uh, insemination. And after, I think, three days, we flew back to Milan to get our camper van and ride to uh, to Rome with it. Uh, when we got back, we did another insemination because she, she wasn't pregnant and another and another. And actually, uh, I think with uh, the fifth insemination, she got a new partner and her partner wasn't that enthusiastic about the surrogacy. So our conversation uh, took a turn to yeah, kind of more heavy conversations and more uh, difficult conversations. So that was difficult and we uh, decided to go to a social worker again to, to talk about it. And we had a great conversation with the four of us about how to continue yeah, to see what the needs are, what, what we would like to have, what, what she would like to have and her partner. And yeah, it was a great conversation which uh, led to continuing. It got even more complicated than you go from being three people to four yeah. people yeah an extra dimension yeah. yeah so so how long did it take then to eventually get pregnant if you don't mind me asking yeah of course you can ask so we did one more try one more insemination we did that three times in one week to optimize uh, the chances but um after the first insemination of that month the next morning she texted us i can't do it anymore okay i'm going to stop oh damn yeah and was that because with obviously having a partner, I guess it's more complicated, right? Yeah, we, we don't know. And we were actually blown away and devastated by that text message because we had that great conversation. and We had faith and, of course, an enormous wish, the love that we would like to give to our child. And yeah, the chance wasn't there anymore. So we were, we were actually devastated by that news. No, this isn't an advertisement break. I'm not going to try and sell you a mattress yet, but I am going to ask you to rate and review this podcast on your podcasting app, as well as subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Not only will you get a little notification when a new episode drops, but you'll help increase our visibility too. If you really want to keep on top of the show, then you should follow us on social media. We're available on Instagram at the Daddy Issue Pod, Twitter at Daddy Issue Pod, and you can find us on Facebook too by searching for The Daddy Issue. All of these links are available on our website too, which is thedaddyissue.org. Thank you so much for your support. Now, back to this week's episode. Your surrogate has decided, hey, I don't want to go through this anymore. Uh, wh where do you go next then? Do you start all over again? Yeah, of course, we talked about it on the forum. And one of the other uh, persons in, in that forum, Nadia, she carried uh, a child before and she said to us, well, actually, I'm having the wish for carrying another time. So would you like to have a cup of coffee uh, to talk about it? No sushi. <laughs> no sushi. No, not sushi. And that was great. She lived in Belgium. So we went there um, and combined it with a nice weekend in, uh, in Maastricht. 
and yeah it was love at first sight actually it was very heartwarming uh, lady with a big smile and and uh she was very funny and uh yeah enthusiastic about everything so she was uh and an experienced as a surrogate so that helped too and we were also uh, more experienced so we talked about uh, more uh, on what we felt, what we needed, what we didn't want, because that's difficult. We were more self-secure to, to ask those questions and to answer difficult questions from her and, uh, in an honest way, because that's very important to keep it honest and talk about the things you don't like and uh, are afraid of. So Coffee went to lunch. Lunch went to uh, her husband calling her that <laughs> where she was if if we didn't abduct her or <laughs> something uh and he he joined us too in the bar so he, and and he was also great and the first thing he said was hey you don't you don't look like gays oh no <laughs> <laughs> the age old yeah. gay thing we all hear yeah yeah we look all the same so uh no it was very funny and actually it was kind of love at first sight but the only thing was that he wanted, so the partner of Nadia, he, he didn't want her to carry a child with her own ex. So it has to be uh, via IVF, yeah. but then we needed a egg donor. So now it becomes even more complicated. Yeah, we thought, oh my God, where do you find a egg donor? So in the meanwhile, we got to know each other very well and to start searching for an egg donor. So... Um, yeah, we, we thought that's going to be very complicated, but actually we asked two ladies in our surroundings if they wanted to think about it, but they both didn't completed their family yet. So they thought it was difficult to donate their eggs, what is actually very logical. But one of those ladies uh, talked to a friend of hers and the, yeah, the friend, Sandra, she said, I would do that instantly, without a doubt. I will do that for them. So that was great. And uh, yeah, we, we got to know each other. And, and after a few conversations and dinners and wine, and lots of wine, she said, uh, I would like to donate my embryos or all my, my, uh, my eggs. Okay. So that was beautiful. But then we needed a doctor to help us. You have a surrogate. Check. You have, you have semen. Check. Egg cells. That's check. Now we need a doctor. Okay, how do you find a doctor? Well, Nadia, she uh, did it before via IVF in a private clinic in Brussels. So we went to Brussels to the doctor who helped us. And it was a very tense day. <laughs> and it was a native French doctor. So he just mumbled something and didn't talk much and, and drew something on a paper. And actually, after, I think, 10 minutes of silence, he said, oh, c'est bon. It went well. <laughs> yeah we're going to do this so I, i'm curious then because i don't know anything yet about ivf yeah uh, I, I know how ivf works in general how long then does it take to have a successful pregnancy through ivf yeah so you have to uh, align both uh, cycles of the woman so both a, a surrogate as the egg donor okay one of the, the ladies uh, should start uh, taking the pill mm -hmm. anticonception pill to stop the period and start when the other lady is getting her period. So that so cycles are aligned. So in this case, you're not taking the eggs and storing them. You're taking the eggs at the right time. Yeah. And then you have a lot of medication and hormones for the egg donor yeah. to stimulate her ovaries to create a lot of eggs at the same time. So not one per month, but 
10 in one month or or maybe more or maybe less so we actually got i think 13 or 18 eggs uh, and we have to go to brussels every three days i think for a period of two and a half weeks so it was a period of <laughs> sitting in the car listening to the radio chatting a lot get to know each other in the car so you're driving a lot and working full-time so <laughs> Uh, it was very complicated. So um, most of the time I was sitting in the car with my laptop on my lap and just working way, my way to Brussels and back. So with hormones, she, she generates actually her, her eggs and they are getting uh, surgically removed, the eggs, and they're placed in little cups uh, and mixed with the semen. So the eggs are fertilized and becoming embryos. They're putting all the embryos in a kind of oven and they look which embryos are growing the best. Yeah. So the best quality, the best fresh embryo, they are transferring it to the uh, womb of the surrogate. Okay. So only, only one embryo at a time? Yeah. So the rest of the embryos are putting in a freezer. When you need it, you can defrost them. And do you mind me asking then how many attempts did it take to have a successful pregnancy? Because I know sometimes with IVF, it can take a couple of times until it works. Yeah. So we had a lot of embryos and we talked about what to do with all the embryos. Should we donate them or store them or give them to science or destroy them? What, what to do with all the embryos? And the first attempt of getting pregnant didn't work out. She wasn't pregnant and it didn't work out. So... We were kind of in shock. So why doesn't it work for IVF? You have more chance than naturally getting pregnant because there is an embryo and you don't have to let nature do it for you. So we did another uh, shot, but then with a frozen embryo and it didn't work out either. And uh, yeah, we were also devastated. And then you have to wait a cycle to to start again with the hormones and the surgeon yeah. have to have to take hormones too. Uh, so how long does this take then? So every time this fails, how long do you have to wait until you can start again? Oh, you have to wait until she get her menstruation. Then you can start after and start okay. taking medicines again. So a couple of days more than a normal cycle because of the... Um, and the third attempt, then she didn't feel anything. So she didn't feel her boobs. She didn't feel nauseous. She, she didn't feel anything. So she said, I don't think I'm pregnant. And she was pregnant. So... Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we were so excited and so happy. It was so, so incredibly great. And we were thinking about buying things, the room for the baby or clothes. And we were actually planning uh, yeah, our family from that moment. And then we had our first echo and the, the, the woman who started the echo, she was very quiet while doing her thing. And she said, how many embryos were put back in your womb? We said, one. Oh, she said. So there wasn't a heartbeat. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So that third attempt then was also... Yeah, miscarriage. Yeah. 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 I'm really sorry to hear. Yeah. Um, and that was another smack in our face. Yeah. Yeah. Had a few now. I think this is your third smack in the face, maybe. Yeah. At least. Yeah. Um, so do you mind me asking, what do you do next? Well, we had to wait to the embryo or the fetus to come out. And that took some time. Yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, we had to have some help to get the fetus out. So we have to wait, I think, a month or three or four to, to start again. Yeah. And um, yeah, we talked about it. Should we continue? Isn't it too hard for the surrogate or for us? Or we all were determined and 
full of love to start again. So we started again, but we had to take a straw of two embryos. They're frozen in a straw. Yeah. So we had to decide, should she be pregnant of a twin? Can we do it? Because it is complicated for the uh, for the surrogate. Uh, there's a chance that the, the twins are born too early and two children are a lot of work, more than one. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a lot of babies to uh, change nappies off uh, in yeah, one <laughs> yeah, as well. Yeah. But we decided that we should take the risk. So we did it. And the fourth attempt, uh, she was pregnant again. And her hormones were actually double the level of hormones that you usually have when you're pregnant from one baby. We knew we are getting a twin. <laughs> that was great. But then she started bleeding and heavily and she lost both of the babies. Okay. Again, I'm, I'm really sorry that it failed for the second time. Yeah. Um, what do you do at this point then? Because I can imagine that I can imagine the doctor gets more involved now. Yeah, yeah, she got more hormones and we talked again. What should we do? Should we continue or not? But at this time we figured out, yeah, we did four tries, two pregnancies. So there is a success rate, but yeah, it, it, it failed twice. So there is a success rate that yeah. she is getting pregnant again. But when we uh, yeah talked more and more, we figured out that she and her husband talked a lot and she was willing to carry a child with her own eggs, so via self-insemination. So we consigned with it and we started to do self-insemination in Belgium uh, three times in a week, every month, uh, for six months. Wow. So, okay. So we're ditching the IVF now. We're stopping with that. And now we're going back to plan yeah. A, <laughs> uh, I suppose. And you're traveling to Belgium. How many attempts then did that take? How long did it take for a pregnancy then to occur? It didn't occur. So six months later, and we didn't have a pregnancy. And we had two embryos in the freezer that time, or two, two attempts. And we discussed it. Let's do those attempts to see if that works yeah and then we have to have to stop actually because yeah. it, it doesn't work so we did both of the the attempts with the embryos and no pregnancies okay so now you have no embryos left i guess they're all no. used so okay i wasn't expecting uh, your story to take quite so many turns. <laughs> I'm no, sorry. Say. You, you didn't tell me this. <laughs> you can write a book um, about it, so we did. <laughs> uh, yeah, now I know why you wrote the book. Um, yeah. Obviously, for you guys, I can imagine this just feels like the biggest punch in the gut. And I can also imagine for your surrogate as well, she's gone through a lot to try and help you guys. Yeah. Um, so it must be hard for her to go through this as well. Uh, but I suppose it's also maybe good for people who are listening to kind of know that. Pregnancy is actually very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it doesn't always work out the first time. Okay, what do we do now then? Yeah, so uh, it didn't work out with Nadia and it was very sad, both for us as for her, because she wanted us to have a family. She did everything she could and she has done everything she could to help us. Uh, but we didn't have a, a pregnancy or, or a baby to come. So we decided to start up again our adoption procedure, which we paused 
because we were busy uh, getting pregnant via a surrogate. Mm-hmm. So we started the adoption procedure again. We started a blog where we wrote about all our adventures, actually, <laughs> what we were going through and what we were doing to inform everyone around us, because it is something to tell to a lot of people every time, every time. So to inform our friends and family and, and whomever, also to create acceptance in the Netherlands. And we started also investigating a surrogacy in Canada or the United States. But both adoption and surrogacy in uh, Canada or the US is going to have to take a lot of money. <laughs> we didn't have the money. So yeah. we thought if we start a blog and people get to know us and, and maybe the media, we, we'll get in touch with the media, we can start crowdfunding to yeah maybe get some money from there to uh, continue our journey. Okay. And with the blog, hopefully someone reads it who has the intention of becoming a surrogate or help us finding a surrogate and the last thing actually happened so someone found us so you make a blog and you start documenting kind of your crazy journey that goes from taking an airplane from italy to a hut in the netherlands to then driving to belgium to having like meeting people in cafes in limburg and now finally through the blog a third woman comes forward who would like to carry a child for you guys yeah yeah. Okay. Yeah. Simple. Actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty simple. Yeah. And um, that was Liana, and she had a complete family, so she has two daughters, and yeah, she loves to deliver a baby. She, she finds the the moment to to carry a baby and and deliver the baby to the world, uh, very magical and intense and and yeah, hurtful but beautiful, and um, she was actually mourning about the fact that her family was complete and she wouldn't carry a baby anymore because she loves doing that uh, what is beautiful so she already met intended parents uh, and she dated with them but it didn't work out with them so she was experienced and she knew surrogates from the the forum which became a facebook uh, group and she was she was very serious about that uh, and in that period, we, we, we drank a lot of coffee and wine with different intended surrogates or, or people who maybe were able to help us. So we figured, well, a cup of coffee can't hurt anyway. And also with Liana, we uh, we drank uh, coffee and her husband that night had to work. Mm-hmm. So we wouldn't met him that evening. Uh, so we drove to her and she lives uh, one and a half hour away. And we drank some coffee and we chatted. And it was also a very warm and inspiring and smart and beautiful woman. Um, yeah, with, with with a great golden heart, actually. Uh, and, and, and we were very comfortable at, at the, the first moment with her. And yeah, also kind of love at first sight. But, and it just clicked. It, it fitted. It puzzles came together. And then we heard the door. And then her husband was <laughs> home from working. So it was very late in the evening or middle in the night, actually, uh, that we figured out, well, we're talking about five, six hours. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, nonstop. We were thinking alike and our thoughts were aligned. So it was yeah, meant to be, actually, that feeling that we got. So, and then we started again getting to know each other. And every free spare moment we had, we were texting or FaceTiming or driving to Drenthe and back and uh, meeting each other. And it was a very warm period actually to, uh, yeah, to get to know each other and 
So after some time, and I think seven months or something, we decided, yeah, our thoughts are really aligned. We we think about everything or most of the things alike and, and the things we couldn't work out. We discussed it more until we had the moment that she asked us, what do you need for me to get to a yes? So it wasn't very romantical, but a little bit of practical. But what, what did you need then? What was it that you needed? Yeah, we were actually shocked from the question. Whoa, are you asking us to carry your child for us? Uh, so we said, we have to think about it at least one night. But we actually knew from the moment she asked us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is going to be wonderful. Well, the next morning, the first thing we did, or actually in the car, we said yes to each other and texted her uh, Yes, we would love that. And um, yeah, the circus started again. So we started talking to a lawyer and uh, got another lawyer informed and uh, started making a contract with all our agreements on paper to, yeah, to make it serious. And then after a couple of weeks, we uh, started insemination. And which method this time? Self-insemination also. Can I ask again, how many attempts did it take this time to get a pregnancy? Well, the first didn't work out. And the second, we were actually very sick. <laughs> we had a big, big fever. So we thought all the eggs she has are boiled <laughs> and the semen is dead. And <laughs> there's no possibility that this insemination round is successful. From all the inseminations we did, this was far out the worst. So then it, it was Christmas and we were <laughs> back on our feet again. And yeah, we went there just to test, just formality. So we went to Drenthe for a Christmas Eve uh, dinner. And she had uh, a cup of urine on the table uh, before all the dinner was on table. And I think we need to let listeners know that's that's not a Dutch tradition. We don't start Christmas in the Netherlands. No, it's not a Dutch <laughs> tradition. No, start Christmas Eve with urine on the table. No, it's not a <laughs> tradition. So we had a test and you have to dip your test in the urine and wait for three minutes. So you turn the test uh, upside down and we started the timer. And in the meanwhile, she said, well, we have to wait three minutes and I have a special gift for you uh, just to kill some time. And she got a small box and she gave it to us and we opened it and it was a test. We thought, ha, this is a test. What, what, what? What's going on? And on the test, there were two markers. Which means pregnant, one, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, one control and one test. Who cried first then? I don't know. <laughs> it was so overwhelming. And uh, I'm starting to get goosebumps right now again. It was so not expected from all the attempts we did, from all the years of hard work, from all the surrogates and flying back and forth this was actually the biggest surprise we we, we could get she was pregnant she told us uh, afterwards so we hugged and we kissed and we laughed and we cried and all the emotions passed through the uh, the christmas <laughs> uh, dinner it was it was great uh, so she told us that she had sensitive boobs and she was nauseous and she had a little bit of headache and everything she had on her first uh, pregnancies so she knew actually before she tested, yeah, this is a pregnancy. Yeah. So she tested and she surprised us and it was great. It was very uh, unexpected. Um, and it was a great, great pregnancy. Yeah. It was a great period, nine months of fun and, uh, caring for her and, and, uh, caring for the, for the babies. And we did everything we could to support them, 
uh, yeah, managing their family around the pregnancy. And yeah, it was a magical time where we took her children out to go to the pool while she could rest. So I guess you kind of become one big family for that period. Yeah, two families within one family. Yeah, yeah. So it was uh, it was very great. And then we we could pick the the date of of the birth of Tom, and it was a very special day because she had three contractions during a couple of weeks, and uh, the weekend before Tom was delivered, we would go to Drenthe to her house to prepare things, to make the room ready, to clean up, to. Uh, yeah, enjoy the last moments with each other without baby and with each other with Surgat and her husband and her children. Calm before the storm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then we had an appointment on a Monday, the 20th of August, uh, 2018. But the night before she ran into her room in the middle of the night, she said, it's not going good. I'm feeling terrible. I am, I'm very sick and, and it's not going good. So we were very scared and she said i've spoken to the hospital and we are going there right so we thought wait she has uh pregnancy diabetes so the first thing we did was getting her stuff and something to eat and to drink with a lot of sugar in it <laughs> give it to her and then we raced to the hospital where she uh, felt better and then we had to wait and then it started she going to labor yeah she was going to labor and it was it was very special because uh, yeah nature is is taking over slowly so the contraction were chemically started yeah. and at first it was minor just yeah little cramps but then nature took over slowly and that was very special to see um, and we were there with her so her husband was at home with uh, with her child so it was really the three musketeers. <laughs> yeah and and it, it felt like that too that we did it with the three of us she started to take a shower to, to release some pressure to to relax some, some bit and uh contractions were heavier and heavier and we decided that she would take the shower again and i had my swimming shorts <laughs> prepared yeah and i went to her on, yeah to take a shower with her and it was a very loving and, and intimate moment uh, not sexually, of course, but yeah, very caring and, and, and loving. And I massaged her shoulders and helped her with her uh, contractions. And then it went very fast and she, she could push. So after five minutes and two pushes, there was a baby. And it was actually as if time were standing still and uh, planets were aligned and it was flowers opening up it was spring breeze it was everything at the same time and it was really a magical moment that i cannot forget whatever happens uh that was a little baby boy yeah, yeah. how i guess time stands still i'm getting emotional now just just listening to it yeah me too <laughs> how can you even describe how it feels to finally the three of you all together to be holding your child. This, this you've you've been on this long journey now. It's took a while, and and you have you have your son. Is there a way to even describe that? No, there is no way, and you cannot explain it to people who haven't had that experience. I think, uh, yeah, it was so incredibly overwhelming, and 
set everything in perspective. This was the most important thing and moment of our lives until now. So it was very great. And seeing the baby and uh, realizing that baby was part of your life for the rest of your life. Yeah. Magical how, how life is born. And, and the first thing uh, was that Tom was on the chest of Liana. For, yeah, for the skin contact yeah, quite important, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, for, I don't know, we hadn't had a grip on time. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was totally away. So um, we thought it was beautiful that she had the first moment with Tom. She carried him for almost nine months. And we loved the idea of her having the opportunity to say thank you to Tom. That was a very intimate moment where Art and I were overwhelmed by emotions while our baby... Uh, lie on the chest of this beautiful lady who had done such a great thing you have pictures of this as well right on your blog yeah yeah we have a lot of pictures and it's 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 just a beautiful moment we'll, we'll put some links to that as well um if you don't mind and then people can also uh yeah of course can see the moment yeah so we finally are kind of like the happy not, I, I said happy ending it's not the end <laughs> the happy beginning i suppose yeah and you have your son tom i'm kind of curious now how did you guys proceed as new fathers, did Liana stay around to help breastfeed? Or was it very much kind of like, uh, um, if you need me, I'm here, but you guys go do it yourselves. Like, how did you guys navigate that? We love the idea of getting to yeah, the transfer of Tom uh, within the womb to us in our home as smoothly as possible, because he is uh, also in the womb. He's, he's used to uh, the sound of the, the girls of uh, Boss and Liana. He's, uh, used to the sound of the dog and maybe the light or maybe uh, you don't know a, a smell or, or a taste and uh, also Liana and, and the girls and, and Bas uh, her husband they were used to to the baby and for all of them and all of us we thought it was the most beautiful to to let Tom go in a smooth and, and uh, yeah, good way for everyone yeah, so it doesn't feel like suddenly the baby's gone. No. If that makes sense. No. Yeah. So we decided that the first week after the birth, we'd stay in her uh, house with uh, everyone. So it was full house <laughs> <laughs> with everyone. And we also gave her the opportunity to let her surrounding, so her friends and family, get to know Tom, and that she, she could show him to the world. Yeah. Uh, we, we found it very... Uh, yeah, important that, that she had the chance to do her story and, and get to see our happiness during that week and slowly yeah, transfer Tom to us. And that was very heartwarming and, and very special and busy. <laughs> a lot of children and dogs and, and, and uh, people who came. And then after a week, it was okay. So yeah, it felt okay. She was ready. We were ready. Uh, the girls were ready to claim their own surroundings again, <laughs> to sleep in their own bedroom. Uh, and we decided to go home. So I'm curious then with Liana, do you guys decide to have her take on the name as mother? Like, did she want that? Or is it, yeah, how, how is that relationship going to be as Tom gets older? Um, at, at the start, we decided that the term mama wasn't the term that we would like to use because it uh, implicates that that is taking care of the baby that is comforting it when it failed or that is ha having the daily responsible responsibility about the baby so we were actually kind of afraid that that was the situation but during uh, the pregnancy and, and during uh, yeah, having all the, these experiences we figured out actually 
mama or mother is just a term that you can uh, fill in the the role you can fill in yourself so you have uh, for example two aunts one is the loving aunt that you that gives you candy every time you come that you have sleepover parties and the other aunt she's a total bitch so they're both <laughs> aunts yes but both in Sorry. different way i was expecting you to say you have the aunt who's loving and then you have the cool aunt but no, yeah the, the total bitch. <laughs> um in, in every family i think there's someone you like and you dislike so i but, will but not there, comment on that no. my family will listen to this <laughs> no but but there are two uh they're both aunts but but in a total different ways and and we figured out let's yeah keep it open this let, let's keep it between uh the relationship of tom with his mother and his mother with tom and and also his siblings or half siblings let's keep it open let's let's see what's going on don't force the term to be picked or to be chosen by us as we wrap up our interview i have some questions on the financial side of this because you guys obviously tried surrogacy a couple of times and there are some costs there but you know, it's not major, but when it comes to IVF, I know that it's quite expensive. Is that something that you guys prepared for beforehand? Yeah, when we decided that we wanted to have a baby, we knew that is going to take time and effort and money. So we started saving actually way before we started adoption procedure. It's, it's yeah, we, we thought it is important that you, you do everything you can to provide the most secure base financially, emotionally, practically. So... I love Excel and lists. <laughs> I put everything in lists in Excel and my boyfriend is more <laughs> the, the financial guys. And yeah, it costs a lot of money, IVF and uh, traveling. And This is not to make a financial analysis of surrogacy at all. After everything you've been through and where you are now, do you have any words of advice for somebody who's listening to this who is wanting to pursue kind of like a, a journey yeah, to parenthood? Yeah. Big question, I know, but... What would, you, what would you say to somebody like me who is kind of on this journey towards, hey, do I want to be a dad or not? Just to start, uh, what you're doing, I think is great. Just to uh, let yourself inform with uh, stories of experience from other parents, intended parents or parents or surrogates or uh, people who are LGBTQ plus uh, and having or wanting a family. So that's great. Uh, talking to people helps to set certain things in perspective, I think. and helps you to decide your own choices what fits with you so uh yeah listening to podcasts like this and <laughs> reading things helps actually <laughs> the second thing what's also very important is to uh, get the information that you need and ask for help from a coach or, or a professional that can uh, help you on socially psychologically and practically because it is a complex and emotional thing you have to go through yeah so someone who is uh, looking with you uh, over your shoulder to to set you in the right direction or uh, get both feet on the ground is important then it's important that you fix it legally so before conception or before starting go to a specialized family lawyer that is the most important thing on behalf of the child and the, the way you're going to choose your, your route. Think about that the wishes you have or the things you are feeling 
that you're listening to it. So if you're feeling, whoa, this is not right, that you're going to listen to it. Why isn't it not right? What isn't right? Can I fix it? Listen to the, the positive, but um, especially the negative or the, 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 the heavy thoughts or feelings you have. Discuss it with your uh, spouse or, or therapist or uh, a coach or people in your surroundings. I won't keep you any longer because I know you need to go and uh, take care of the little one. But I want to just say thank you. Yeah. It's been a little bit more of a roller coaster than I think I anticipated. But I just want to say it's really inspiring to hear your story. And I'm really honored to hear it as well. And I'm really honored that you've been so open with me and for people listening to the show. Yeah. I hope that people can learn a lot from this. Um, and I'm glad that we get to talk a little bit about the reality of this as well. We're not just telling fairy tale stories. There is a fairy tale story. Um, you're living it right now, but sometimes it takes a little bit longer to get there. So I just want to thank you so much for for sharing your story with me um, and everybody who listens to the show. I, I hope we can talk again soon about the coaching side in the future, but I just want to say thank you. Yeah, great. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure to to tell you the story and, and other listeners. And indeed, what you say, it's not all fairy tale. Sometimes it's it's getting raw. And you know, by telling the story, I want to inform people to inform yourself for starting. And that's also why I started working as a kindergarten coach or child wish coach uh, that I want to yeah, do something with my experiences and, and my background just to help people. Yeah, it yeah. makes a lot of sense. Now I know your story, why you do the job that you do. And I think that probably makes you a very good uh, kindergarten coach or child wish coach. Thanks. Thank you. It's very nice. I really hope we can talk about that soon again in the future. Yeah, well, thank you very much. It was an absolute pleasure getting to talk to you. Great, great. Well, have a great day and uh, wish you a lot of success uh, editing <laughs> <laughs> and with your, uh, with your dream. Sio's story caught me off guard. Now, I've been caught off guard before in interviews, but I genuinely had no idea his story to fatherhood was as complicated as it was until I interviewed him. After our call, I shut my laptop and sat in silence for a little while. When my partner Kevin asked how it went, heavy was the only word I could think of. His story was a reminder of how difficult reproduction can be. How, even if you can afford to conceive a child via IVF, there is no guarantee it'll succeed. Science is incredible, but I'm sure I'm not alone in being naive enough to have forgotten that mother nature always has the upper hand. Sio's story inspired me and was a slap across the face at the same time. Could I go through what he, his partner, and their surrogates went through? Could Kevin? To be honest, I don't know if we could. But I guess that doesn't mean anything anyway because this process of having a child is complicated. It's emotional. It's difficult. And even now, after hearing everything that I've heard, I would be lying if I told you I knew what I wanted or how I'd respond to a hypothetical roadblock, challenge, or complication. I don't think you can ever know. At least, not until you get there yourself. What I have learnt, though, is that there are people out there who, despite everything life throws at them, are willing and able to dig their heels in and not give up. And if that is not an argument for queer parenting, then I really don't know what is. Next week, we'll be talking to Kristen Fisser, 
about her experiences raising her transgender child and mothering them as they transitioned. My name is Connor James, and you've been listening to The Daddy Issue. Daddy Issue is an independent podcast, produced and presented by me, Connor James. Music by Willem Boy. Fact-checking and editorial support from Emma Vogt. Our original artwork is by the incredible K-Toys. And a special thank you this week goes to Sios for his time and sharing his story with us. We're available on Instagram at the Daddy Issue Pod, Twitter at Daddy Issue Pod, and you can find us on Facebook too by searching for the Daddy Issue.